Throughout my 25 plus years of working in higher education, I've had the chance to build relationships with all types of creatives. Each one of these people has a story to tell that will go deeper into their mindset as a creative. Each episode, I will take you inside the mind of a creative as we weave together stories that led to overcoming doubt, tapping into motivations, and ultimately unlocking the creative psyche. Hello and welcome to the Undaunted Creative. My name is Tom Joyce, and today I am pleased to welcome Matt Rusinek. Matt, how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Great. Thanks so much for doing this. You know, one of the things that really intrigued me uh, from the get-go before we even set this up was your background. I know the Sun-Times, the Chicago Sun-Times did an article and it sort of started for you early with like DJing. And um, yeah, yeah. And so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because the article wasn't so much about DJing, but it was more about hearing loss within the industry. And when did that become something for you that you said to yourself, you know, I want to really sort of talk more about this because it's, it's a problem that could become bigger than what it is right now. You know, for me, I DJed for years prior to even getting any sort of hearing protection, but I was coming to this crossroads where I was working for this company and we would do pretty much these massive homecomings and school dances every week. And I'm talking concert systems, line arrays, you name it, we had it. And it was to a volume where I'd get in my car at the end of the night and it was just ringing, ringing, ringing. And I just looked myself in the mirror and said, it's probably time to protect my hearing, you know, because this isn't something I'm just doing for the next few years. I need these two things for the rest of my life. So that kind of jump-started it all. Well, what foresight, you know? I mean, I, I see so many people that go to concerts or, you know, people that are DJing, they're not even thinking about this. So for you, I, I think to really zero in on this and say, as you said, these are really important to me for the rest of my life. They've got to last because, you know, with a lot of things, you know, you, you break an arm or you, you, know, you bust up your knee, it recovers. But with hearing, you know, once those little hairs in the ear, those go away, that's it. I'm so happy you said that because... So many people don't understand that. They think it's this regenerating thing that, oh, it'll grow back. You're fine. You're going to be hearing for the rest of your life. And no, I actually ran into a time where I was in a sound check and it was way too loud and it was booming bass and echoing. And I had really bad like tinnitus for a year in my ears just from how bad that sound check was. And that was the one time, the one time I forgot my hearing protection. Wow. And you, you hear about these musicians who have been playing for so long and some have actually had to stop even touring, stop playing yeah. like Huey Lewis and, you know, from Huey Lewis and the news I know is one and, and Peter Frampton and a bunch of others, you know, so obviously this is a, you know, it's an epidemic. It, it, it really is. And I can't stress upon everyone that I encounter is just protect your freaking hearing because there's so many times that we just get so enveloped in the music and I want to feel the crowd. I want to feel this. I want to have the full experience. That's cool. You can have that. Get some good hearing protection. It'll be a lot better for you. I promise. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. So let's talk a little bit about your background. When did DJing first come uh, to fruition for you? How old were you? I, I, I get the feeling that it started at a young age. Yeah, you know, I was in gosh, I, I had to be like 11 or 12. And for me, it's so cliche, but what kicked it off was hearing a Skrillex song. And I was like, this is so unique. And 
this is sounds that made music and this is really cool and I want to do this for the first little bit it was so funny I would have all these little bits and bobs that I would assemble on a desk that kind of looked like a DJ setup and I would just pretend I was DJing and that was the start of it all for me and then from there it just became an actual thing and I started getting gear and started practicing and met a mentor Ross Bessinger who's still my mentor and one of my best friends. And he absolutely started all of that for me. Now, how did that mentorship happen? Because you started at such a young age. Um, Was this someone who was related to you via your family or just sort of found them on the internet? So it was kind of cool. I went to Stevenson High School in Illinois and we had this thing called the DJ club. I was a little freshman, all eager eyed, like, this is so cool. I'm around a bunch of equipment weekly with a bunch of like-minded people. And he was a senior in high school, so he was a president of the club. And I'm like, ah, no way this guy's even going to give me the time of day. But this guy had the patience of an angel to answer all my questions, help me with what I needed to know, teach me things. And since then, unfortunately for him, I haven't stopped annoying him. So... (laughs) Well, and I think that brings us to your current position working for Hey Nani. One of the things that I think resonated with me and, and of course with students that you have as interns is the fact that you really offer hands-on mentorship. And where do you think that first happened for you in terms of, um, you know, it sounds like that the mentorship that you had from an early age was crucial to maybe developing this um, systematic approach to making sure that students who are interns or even employees get the most out of being involved with or engaged with an organization that you're working with. Yeah. You know, for me, I've always kind of loved the philosophy of it helps to have some guidance, but unless you kind of throw them in the fire a bit, they're not going to learn. So you got to have a couple fire drills to really start to learn things for yourself. Because if you ask time and time again to any industry professional, they're never going to tell you, oh yeah, I learned everything I needed to know for a show from reading an article or reading a book or from talking to someone for an hour. They're going to tell you, I learned this from this time at a show, this happened and either I forgot a cable or something in mine broke, a bolt came loose, or my in-ear pack ran out of batteries on stage, something or another is going to be that influential moment that teaches them how to do it correctly. And so I fervently am a true believer in that whole, put them in the fire a little bit, they'll learn better. I promise. I love that. And, and I think another key thing is, is preparation, you know, having that student or that employee get a chance to work on the equipment even before they get a chance to be put in the fire is really something that's going to be essential to their growth as an individual, you know, being prepared. But as you said, with this industry, curveballs are thrown your way all the time. And I wanted to ask you about this because, you know, I find your journey just so intriguing. You're such a young person and you've done so much in the industry at such a young age and you're so mature. You're welcome. And, and, and the thing that I find, you know, really is, is motivating and inspiring, I think to other people in this industry is that, you know, you don't let anything hold you back. You, you ask those questions. And was that something from an early age that even in, high, in grade school or in high school where you were that person that just, you know, you wanted to absorb as much as you could, like a sponge? You know, I, I think in my life, I've always kind of been that person that sees something and I'm like, that's cool. 
How do I do that? How do I figure that out? And I got one of the best pieces of advice. I worked for this company called Boom Entertainment way early on. I worked there later in my high school, early college. And one guy told me something there. And he said, if you're on a show, you're on anything, you got a question about something, take a picture of it, go back, research it, you'll learn about it. And in a way, I like to use that as a like life mantra. You got a question about something, you want to be driven to do something, take a mental picture of it and start researching how to get it done. That's phenomenal advice. So here you are, you're a young guy, you're out on tour, you're playing with a major label band. Tell us about it and how did this all come together? Yeah, so for me, now obviously I wasn't on the stage playing. I am not that musically inclined, but I was the lighting designer and primarily I would say I was a lighting designer for Grandson, which is really cool band. Love those guys. But, it, you know, it was a crazy, crazy cool experience. And how many dates are you doing with, with uh, Grandson? Oh my gosh, that, that tour, I think we had 20 plus dates or something. It, it, was a, it was a lot and it was a full U.S. bus tour. So it started all the way from Minnesota and then, of course, we did the common tour thing where you don't follow any sort of path around the Midwest. You just zigzag till you're across the Great Lakes five times. And then after that, we shot up, did a bunch of East Coast dates, and then kind of made a little loop around the whole country all the way up to the top of the West Coast, and then just shot right back down in the middle and ended in Kansas City. Yeah. So there had to be a time during this tour, and, and again, be as honest as, you, as you'd like to be, but was there a time on, on this tour where you had you know, some type of anxiety over you know, something that you, know, you needed to do that night, or maybe it was the first date, maybe it was a few dates in, and, and how did you overcome that? Oh, yeah. I mean, anxiety on the road, it's a real thing. And definitely the first show, I would say one of the coolest shows you can see on a tour is go see the first show. It's going to be a little bit of a mess, but it's so cool because it got done. And for me, that was like the first night of that run, a whole bunch of like my time code. I was like, okay, I got this working. I got that working. But then for some reason, the offsets on my video were off just, just ever so slightly, but enough to put a bunch of stuff off whack. And that was really stressful for me because this is me on my first big major run. And I'm like, I can't even get the freaking time code to line up. Like, what, what am I doing? You know, I texted all my guys and they're like, yeah, man, just put this in, move this here. You got it. And they were so right. And that's really to overcome it. You just need to remind yourself there's a team around you or there's people in your life who've gotten you there. And those are your best references to call because they're going to be more than happy to help or they're going to be more than happy to answer that one question. And that's kind of how I got through a lot of it was anytime I had a question, I wasn't shy about, hey, man, there's this lighting fixture. I'm not sure how to put it in the console. There's not a profile for it. What do I do? And they were like, oh, yeah, man, we have a custom profile sitting in the back of our computer. Let me email it over to you. So it's like, use your network. And that helped me a lot. What was the highlight of the tour for you? Is there like a date that stands out for you? I would say a really, really cool show. I want to say it was called the Ogden and it was in Boulder, Colorado. And it was just this really cool show. And I think I felt like it was so awesome because it had this huge, massive front of house 
So I felt like I wasn't just crammed into this corner, but the crowd was all around you. They were on balconies above you. They were to the left and to the right. And the artist always did a really good job on pointing out people. And he then pointed and goes, and that's Matt. He's making all these flashy lights happen. And for some reason, I don't know why, but in that little moment, everything just kind of came together. And I was like, holy crap, I'm doing this. And, and I've got to go back. So because I sometimes hear from students, they're like, oh, I want to be, you know, I want to be in charge of a tour. Or I want to be a, a lighting, you know, an LD on a tour or I want to do sound. How right now in today's world, um, you know, touring's back, you know, starting again, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, what, you know, what advice could you give to them? But also, how did it work for you? Like, was it a connection to a connection? And then they're like, do you want to do this tour? Did you sign a contract too? Yeah. So I went to a show and I kind of looked around and it hit me right there. And this is like a year and a half before I even touched a tour bus. And I was like, I could do this. This seems pretty cool. Now, granted, this is when I had a lot of experience already. So this wasn't me just saying, this looks cool. Let me go do this. This was me already having a lot of experience and me just kind of pointing out things going, yeah, that's easy. That it's a little challenging, but I think I can figure it out. And then from there, I figured out the company that was doing it. I literally DM them on Instagram and I said, hey, you guys do exactly what I want to do. How do I get involved? And I was texting this guy for a few days and he assigned me with a project and he said, hey, make the stage plot in CAD for this big show we got coming up. And that artist happened to be Juanez. So I made this huge stage plot for Juanez and it was like this five or six page multi-plot massive rig thing. And then after that, he's like, yeah, you're pretty good there. Cool. We liked it. And then a couple shows that that company was handling were coming through town. And I said, hey, can I meet the guys, go on the show, just show them what I'm about? He's like, yeah, good idea. So I did that. And then after that, we got to the point where it was Summerfest and I had worked with this artist a couple of times now. And I just went there and I met this guy backstage and he's like, yeah, I tour manage for this band and stuff, yada, yada, yada. We talked for a few minutes. And then not but a month later, I get a text from the owner of the company. He goes, remember that tour manager you met backstage? Yeah. You mentioned your name. Wow. They need an LD. Want to go out with them. That's how it happened. Yeah. Wow. That's exactly how it happened. And now that guy, his name is Nolan. He is one of my closest friends in my life. And I would really just consider him a brother. He is one of the best humans I've ever met. So, and how do you prepare to go out on the road for 20 days? Like you're, you're, you're going to be on a bus, but you know, what, oh. what's that, what's that packing situation look like? I mean, I was out for more than 20 days. I, I think we were out for like... Yeah, 20, 20 tour dates. So you were yeah, probably yeah, out 20, like, you know, 40, 50 days maybe, Yeah, right? something yeah. closer to that. So for preparing for it, <laughs> there's not really a good way to prepare. I'm going to be very honest. A lot of tour stuff happens very suddenly. Like, I mean, I kid you not, I've gotten text messages this year that have been, what are you doing tomorrow and for the next three weeks? This tour needs an LD. Can you go out? And I'm like, well, way too quick. But in actuality, to prepare for it, I would say uh, it's a lot of A, pack accordingly, figure out your routing, where are you going, pack the right clothes because it can get cold, it can get warm. And number two is just make sure you have backups of everything. If you are programming it, don't have that file in two places, 
have it in six with you on the road. Just load a bunch of freaking flash drives up with it because you never know when you're going to lose stuff. And then beyond that too, I would say, you know, just you got to gear your mind towards it. You got to remember that you're going to be doing 9 a.m. to 3 a.m. days. You're only going to get that little corner of sleep in there and you got to really start adjusting your life for it. But at the same time, have fun. You're going out on the road. You're doing a tour. Go see your friends. Go make those last things happen before you're out. It's a lot of fun. Well, it sounds like, too, that you developed these relationships and the band considered you one of the team. You know, the, the band was so cool. And they're continually super cool because it wasn't very much that the band and then the crew. It was the band and crew, you know, being a little bit of a smaller run, we were all in the same bus. It wasn't to the point where they had their own artist bus and then crew bus that gets bigger. But it was cool because they really brought that all in. And this past year, actually, their first show back was this after show for Lollapalooza. And the next day it was Lollapalooza. And it was one of the most surreal moments and one of the coolest moments being able to just give all of them a hug after not seeing them for almost two calendar years with this pandemic. And it was like bringing this little family back. And obviously that first day, we were all just kind of learning what to do again. But by the time of that second day show, it was like old times. Just show happened, sitting in the green room, joking around, bringing and pulling back all the jokes from two years ago. It was a really crazy good experience. Now, you talked about Lollapalooza. I know you yeah. watched Lollapalooza this year. Did yeah. you do the full run? Uh, so Lollapalooza, uh, I did that one. And then the rest of the festival dates... Because obviously I have a whole venue to also run here. Sure. I couldn't really pick up too much more, unfortunately. So they had a huge fast schedule and I wanted to hit a few more dates, but just time and scheduling. As you know, it took us a couple of times to even schedule this call. Sure. Just imagine some fly dates. It was a little much. So unfortunately I couldn't go out with them, but man, I need to text them and see when I can go out with them again because... I'm getting the itch. <laughs> well, and so Lollapalooza, you're there. Um, how exciting is that? You probably went there when, you know, before you actually were an LD, probably as a spectator, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. The, the first time I went, I was like 15. I think I bought my tickets and I decided not to tell my mom, not knowing how she'd react. And I told her when the airplane door closed, going on spring break, because I'm like, she can't freak out on an airplane. Wow. But she said, it's about time. Go have fun. And from there, it's never stopped. But it, it was really cool going on the other side of it now because you spectate it for so many years. And now just seeing the whole structure of it, I don't think you get a true appreciation for the scale of what's happening until you see it from that lens. Wow. That, yeah, that's I, I can't even imagine. Uh, one of our guests was DJ Kashira, who... Uh, was at Lollapalooza this year and was talking about just the whole thrill of, of being there, being amongst all yeah. of these people and these artists and, and what have you. And just a very uh, enthralling time. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess th as we wrap things up here, one of the things that sort of seems clear to me is there needs to be probably a little bit of recruiting on the side of getting more lighting directors out there. I mean, this seems to be an area in the industry where there isn't a lot of lighting directors. Is this correct? Yeah. You know, I, I would say that there's a good amount of operators out there, guys who can get a file from, from whoever got it programmed and 
get on the road and actually make it happen. I think there's a good amount of those. We're always looking for more, but I would say where the real money is and the real jobs, if you can program and op an entire tour, that's where it is. That's where you're going to make it. Excellent. So learn how to program, get yourself a nice razor laptop, get yourself a touch screen, get yourself an external screen, start programming, learn time code, get Reaper on that computer. You're all set. And it sounds like a lot of this too, because you know you went to college, but a lot of this also was just learning on the job. A, a ton of it for me, uh, you know, I went to college for two years at a community college. So none of it had anything to do with technical or what I'm doing now. Like I, I, I mean, none of it. All of it was practicals learned in life. You know, just absorb as much as you can. Take in everything you can. If school is your route to go, there's a ton you can learn from school. But also, if you want to learn from life, there's a ton of great resources to learn in life, too. Yeah, ask questions. And that that's something that, yep. that you said was important in terms of your career trajectory, where you're at now is you weren't afraid to ask those questions. And I think sometimes with uh, people who are just getting started in the industry, they, they fear, oh, you know, like I'm going to seem like I'm, I'm being too pushy or what have you, but it's the approach. And, and that's a key element of it. You know, I, I, I always tell people who are like, I'm scared to ask this person this, or I'm scared to reach out to this person. Just do it because you would be surprised how many of us in this industry are more than happy to hop on an hour call with you. Even if it's at 1 a.m. when we're done working with whatever <laughs> we're doing, we're always happy to hop on a call and just give you some advice or guidance or offer whatever motivation we can to you. Because if you can't support the next generation of people growing up with you or support the people around you, this industry doesn't work. It needs to be all for one. Love it. And what are some of your future plans coming up in uh, end of this year into 2022? You know, future plans right now, it's kind of crazy because as the industry is returning, number one, I'm only getting busier here at our venue. I mean, we have a sold out show tonight. So I'm walking right back in there, back into this chaotic, organizing an entire venue for that. Let's but talk a little bit. I was going to say, let's talk yeah. a little bit about Hey Nani, because I yeah, want to make sure that. we give our let's due. Do this is a very unique spot. You know, you're, you're, you're in Arlington Heights. It is. And it's a restaurant slash venue. And one of the things I wanted to say thank you so much to, to you personally for doing was you allowed the students this past summer to actually put together a show which featured two Columbia-based bands, Yin Waster and yeah. BlackRock. And they learned everything. They learned from you know how the contract was put together, uh, day of, uh, the event, uh, hospitality, everything. Yeah. I had them sitting in this room, sending emails, hopping on calls, doing everything because you can't learn if you don't do it yourself. There, I, I can do it for you, but that's no use. Like Obviously, at the end of the day, I have to be the one signing the dotted line, but you can write everything up until that point. I'll approve it, tell you what needs to be fixed, and then afterwards, shipping it off, and you're going to see that happen. And so if there's bands or artists out there, what is sort of your philosophy when you're booking talent? And, and talk about right now, due to the pandemic, uh, obviously uh, capacity might be a bit limited, but um, in terms of Hey Nani, what, what, is the, um, what are you looking for when you're looking at artists to bring into the venue? You know, we're looking for artists that can really reach their fan base. 
and absolutely a obviously bring people and that's the whole point of booking an artist but you know as much as we love supporting and growing them we also love when artists can work cooperatively with us and create because once we do the marketing they do the marketing and we both promote the show it is just this beautiful pollination that you get a product like tonight the show is sold out people are going to be happy. It's going to be a great night for both of us. So that's what we really look for. We look for people who are very engaged in their audiences, know how to speak to them, and then know what to ask from us. And, you know, we're always happy to offer whatever they need. But yeah, that's really the big thing. Matt Rusinek, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And just a wealth of knowledge. Oh, well, thank you. It's, as I like to say, I know, a lot about a very, very little. This industry is huge. Uh, I disagree. I, and, and I feel that, uh, you know, you touched upon so many things in this conversation and, and some of those takeaways right off the top, I, I can think of number one is being able to reach out to people and feel comfortable and feeling like you have nothing to lose because you just want to ask a question. You want to learn more. And then, you know, secondly, I, I just look at the way that you have, you know, definitely pivoted in this industry is important, you know, and that's something that I feel people who want to get in this industry should look at is the fact that, you know, to have more than one set of skills is important and not to be one dimensional. It is, it is, you know, I started off doing Photoshop and doing a bunch of that stuff. And I was working actually in kind of the marketing and promotion field for that boom company. And I would obviously operate a lot of shows with them. But it started off with that. And from there, when the pandemic hit, and obviously I couldn't do lighting and do the cool tour stuff, all of a sudden I had a venue here go, we need a lot of what you learned prior. Can you do that? And I'm like, hell yeah, I can do that. Let's go. Finding the right people too that know your strengths and also believe in you. Yes, that's so important. These owners here, I can say this with my fullest heart, is they are some of the best people in music. And I am blessed every day to be able to work for two such amazing owners. So how do they get in touch with you? If there's a band or artist that wants to maybe, you know, throw their wares your way. Yeah. Um, it is really, really easy. You just have to go Matt, M-A-T-T at heynani.com. Shoot me that email. I'll get in touch. Say, Matt, I heard you on the podcast. Let's talk about anything. It could be about your band. It could be about questions you have for the industry. I'm happy to make that connection. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Matt. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate you. You've been listening to the Undaunted Creative Podcast. Undaunted Creative is a production of WCRX-FM in collaboration with the Career Center of Columbia College Chicago. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Colum Career. That's C-O-L-U-M-C-A-R-E-E-R. This episode was produced by Matthew Byrne. To hear more episodes of The Undaunted Creative, check them out wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Tom Joyce. Thanks for listening.